what we say and what I hope that folks will come to realize is that their credit is not always the answer, especially for folks that are struggling to live day to day for whatever that reason may be. And we do need to look at it more systemically and address root causes and not just treat symptoms. This is Indebted, South Carolina Public Radio's deep dive into the ecosystem of debt in the Palmetto State. I'm Scott Morgan. In our final episode of this series, we wrap things up with a potential solution for one of South Carolina's most nagging debt problems and with a little hope for our future. Okay, so two years ago, I set my eyes on some data that were long on firepower but short on context. Those numbers about debt burden that kicked off this whole series with a holy shit and a need to understand why. And as we've learned over the run of this series, why has an awful lot of answer to it. There's medical debt and student debt, credit cards and short-term loans, guilt and shame, isolation and exploitation, lack of investment and lack of action, human foibles and human nature, apathy and myth, ignorance and immorality, and hope, always with a little hope. Well, at the risk of sounding like a networking luncheon keynote, hope without action is a daydream. Now, I'm aware, like really, really aware, that the complex ecosystem of debt in South Carolina cannot be solved only by South Carolina. Medical bills, insurance coverages, student loan reform, all that stuff takes a fix at the federal level. But there are things that this state could do to address how lenders within South Carolina are regulated. Now, I have no idea whether anything the state cooks up would actually fix anything, but I do know that there's a growing effort to try something new. Because, buddy, I promise you, the status quo ain't working. When we think about predatory lending, our history here in South Carolina has not been a good one. And I just think that while we've tinkered around the edges on this issue, there was still much work left to do. What this legislation does is attempt to finish up some of that work. I'm in the main lobby upstairs at the South Carolina State House, where I finally get a chance to chat for a couple of minutes with the grand dame of the state legislature. It's the end of the 2022 session, and House Representative Gilda Cobb Hunter is telling me about a legislative fix to what she sees as a core problem in this state. Of course, we have run out of time this year. I filed it late. They approached me late. But it certainly will be on my list of priorities in the event that I am reelected. This legislation will be at the top of my agenda, and I also intend to pre-file it. Remember... You're hearing a conversation that happened at the end of the 2022 session. Ms. Cobb Hunter did, in fact, get reelected, as she has done more than anyone currently serving in the State House. And she did pre-file her bill for 2023, the one that would outlaw any interest rate greater than 36 percent on any loan in South Carolina. This is an issue that crosses party lines, racial lines, gender. This is something that affects all South Carolinians. And I am just very glad that Representative Carter saw the uh, benefit of joining forces to fix this problem. That would be State House Representative Jerry Carter. And the fact that he and Ms. Cobb Hunter aligned to tackle the issue of sometimes triple-digit loan rates here does speak to the fact that this idea crosses all those lines 
party, race, and gender. Mr. Carter and Ms. Cobb Hunter are different in all three. He is a white Republican from the upstate, she is a black Democrat from the low country. But on this, they wholeheartedly agree. Well, it's necessary just because of the significant negative impact it has on people who can least afford to pay the high interest rates that our laws currently allow some of these payday loan entities to uh, to offer. So it's providing, I think, a significant damage to a large portion of our population here in South Carolina. As we've discussed on this podcast, short-term loans tend to be a means of last resort, which itself means that they're for people who often don't have many good options. High interest rate loans and recurring payday fees for money reborrowed multiple times can easily result in a consumer paying back far more than they borrowed. And for Jerry Carter, this is not an abstract concept. First of all, my wife runs and operates what you would consider the food bank, the local food bank in Clemson. So I've heard her talk of tales when people are coming in and they are looking for assistance, not only in food, but my wife's organization can provide uh, limited rental and uh, deposits for housing. And she's heard of the stories of these people who've gone out and in short order got these loans with these just unbelievable interest rates in the order of 300%. So I've heard it from her and her clientele. I've heard it from actually the uh, United Women of Faith. And that is an initiative which the United Women of Faith have taken on is to try to call some type of legislative action, some action within state, sort of to address this, recognizing the problem for what it is. Okay, before we go on, I need to make sure you understand a couple things that are about to come up. First, the next five minutes of your life are gonna be a little dense. I'm sorry, I can't help that. But you're gonna feel sharp as heck when we're through it, I'm sure, so just ride it out. Second, the fight over rate caps is all about short-term, small-dollar loans chiefly installment loans that usually don't exceed $2,500 and have a higher interest rate than larger bank-issued loans. Third, what the South Carolina legislature is debating is whether to cap interest rates of every loan written in this state, no matter by whom, at 36%. These bills, the one sponsored by Representatives Cobb, Hunter, and Carter in the South Carolina House last year, and its companion Senate Bill 518, are modeled after the Federal Military Lending Act, which caps interest on all lending to active duty service members at 36%, with a few exceptions. And hey, 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 I can hear your eyes already starting to glaze over. Don't let me lose you this fast. We got a lot to listen through. We got to listen to what the debate sounds like from the people who are actually having it. So let's go. Senate Bill 518 is a broad, overreaching bill that attempts to cap interest rates on a wide array of small-dollar, short-term credit products, utilizing an arbitrary 36% annual percentage rate. Annual percentage rate is a very poor measure of actual cost of credit for short-term, small-dollar credit products as the equation becomes distorted for shorter-term loans and defunct for loans with terms less than 12 months. Okay, so this is Dan Walters. He's the president and CEO of Credit Central, an installment lender headquartered in Greenville. And he's speaking at a state Senate subcommittee hearing on S-518 that took place on March 1st. Senate Bill 518, in four short paragraphs, will eliminate all small-dollar credit products in South Carolina. This carpet bomb language creates additional casualties to South Carolinian jobs, access to credit, convenience, and most important, consumer choice. Most at risk, according to Walters, are the borrowers who rely on these short-term, small-dollar products. 
the rate cap would most certainly eliminate loan products under $2,500. This would leave some 65% of the adult population defined as subprime with no regulated access to affordable small dollar installment credit. Okay, let's go back over that and do a little dissecting. One. The rate cap would most certainly eliminate loan products under $2,500. Walters is probably referencing a 2020 report from the Federal Reserve that calculates what interest rates would be needed on given small-dollar loan amounts in order for the lender to break even. And in this report, the Fed does find that technically, a $2,500 loan would not break even at 36% interest. The minimum break-even interest at 36%, last calculated in 2015 money, is $2,530. But as loans get smaller, Interest rates needed to break even do indeed escalate. 60% on a $1,200 loan, 103% on a $600 loan. And those amounts are right in the sweet spot for small dollar borrowing. And the industry itself fears that all those five dollars to $1,500 loans that lenders write up are at risk if a cap is set at 36%. Okay, let's move on to two. This would leave some 65% of the adult population defined as subprime with no regulated access to affordable small dollar installment credit. Here, Walters might be referencing a January report from the Urban Institute that looks at the implications of the Military Lending Act. It's the only reference to 65% of subprime borrowers being cut off from credit that I could find. But in all honesty, I can't say for sure that this is what Dan Walters is talking about. I just know that this very report gets referenced a few times during that March 1st Senate meeting. Either way, the report does allude to data showing that since the extension of the Military Lending Act in 2015, there's been no real decrease in delinquency or collections rates among borrowers with subprime credit scores, nor has the policy had an impact on credit scores. But that report focuses on revolving credit products, by which I mean mainly credit cards which the Military Lending Act was not written to rein in. The report does not focus on short-term and small-dollar products, which the MLA absolutely was written to rein in. And I know, all that stuff was very dense. I told you, I can't help that. But now that we're halfway through it, you feel kind of smart, right? And maybe kind of saucy? Like you did that summer when you went to Paris and you met Michel and the two of you kissed in a gentle rain at sunset on the Pont Neuf and it was bittersweet because you both knew it was kind of goodbye, but you both wondered what might have been. And when your partner's being a jerk, you think back to that summer in Michelle's face and it makes you feel giddy and you blush. Well, that's how good journalism is supposed to make you feel. Ah, Paris. Ah, Michel. Did you enjoy Paris? I'm glad, because now we need to talk about Illinois, which two years ago set an interest rate cap, the likes of which proponents of rate caps in South Carolina are aching to duplicate. What I'm curious about is how many states do you all continue to operate in that has passed a cap? Zero. You just said Illinois and you just said New Mexico. Those states we no longer operate in because of the rate cap, many of our licensees that did operate in Illinois no longer do. What you just heard is an exchange between Dan Walters and State Senator John Scott during that same Senate committee meeting. And it isn't just Walters who brings up Illinois. Pretty much all rate cap opponents do, and for pretty good reason. 
What I think was important in this report, it was written by a Federal Reserve economist, and he goes in six months after Illinois goes into effect. A couple things that he says is there was definitely a decrease of credit availability to borrowers that have had credit issues. There was a decrease in the number of loans to people that had credit issues by 44%. This is Howard Wright. He's the CEO of Guardian Fidelity Mortgage in Rock Hill, which does, for the record, make small-dollar installment loans to qualified buyers. And that Fed report he just mentioned comes up a lot. Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve says that. All right, all right, hold up. What exactly does the Federal Reserve say that has tongues so waggly? Well, technically nothing. The report being cited, with the gloriously succinct title, Effects of Illinois' 36% Interest Rate Cap on Small Dollar Credit Availability and Financial Wellbeing, was co-authored by Dr. Gregory Ellihausen, who was a staff economist at the Federal Reserve System. But this report is not an official statement by the Federal Reserve Board. The authors, including Dr. Ellihausen, are speaking as themselves. The report, however, does make two points that opponents of the rate cap in South Carolina have taken quite a shine to. That Illinois' rate cap nearly halved the number of loans made to subprime borrowers in the first six months after it was enacted, and it increased the average loan size to subprime borrowers by 40%. In other words, that Illinois rate cap cut off borrowers with bad-to-worse credit from the only source of borrowed money they could get, and settled them with either no access to money or access to more money than they could afford to pay back without sinking deeper into debt. And this is the environment Dan Walters says is causing the mass exodus of many small-dollar lenders from states like Illinois, because without the ability to turn a profit on loans smaller than $2,530, lenders who lend to high-risk borrowers can't effectively operate. And that, at its simplest, I promise, is the argument against a rate cap. That it will end small-dollar lending in South Carolina, choke the most in-need borrowers from access to emergency money, and put hundreds of jobs on the ash heap when storefront lenders pack up and leave. Counterpoint. Well, at Self-Help Credit Union, we do loans from 500 up to mortgages of, you know, several hundred thousand dollars. But our small dollar loans are generally in the $500 to $1,000 range. Our highest interest rate is 16% on those loans. And we have a great repayment. And we do make a little bit of money on that. Wait, let me check the math on something. Carry the one, square root of, axis over radius. Yeah, interesting. 16% is less than 36%. And yet, Carrie Smith the South Carolina president of Self-Help Federal Credit Union, appears to be saying that her credit union has actually made loans of quite a bit less than $2,530 and made a profit. But wait, there's more. There's not a credit union in this state that doesn't do small-dollar loans. And some of them do as low as 250 but all of them do $500 loans. How can this be? How can one set of lenders fear extinction of their kind in South Carolina beneath the boot heel of a 36% interest rate cap, and another set of lenders do just fine, lending to people with not good credit scores way below that 36% threshold? The answer lies in the business model. Small-dollar lenders do exactly what it sounds like. They sell small-dollar loans. Credit unions, on the other hand, generally offer a suite of financial services that sometimes include loans and sometimes include not loans. Now, something that's come up in the Senate committee hearings over all this is while credit unions talk a good game about lending to risky customers, there are people who just don't qualify for loans credit unions offer. 
which is true. And some members of the LCI committee have pushed back against credit unions and mission-similar community development financial institutions, or CDFIs, over this same thing. Here's an exchange between State Senator Sandy Sen and Latori Gear, the CEO of Community Works, a CDFI in Greenville. We have the ability to be able to sit down, work with them, and be able to provide that wraparound support, connecting them to other resources that are out there, and making sure that we're not putting them in a, a, a worse situation that they're in. So, uh, so do you have a zero turndown rate? We do not have a zero turndown okay, rate. Okay, so then what about those people that you turn down? What we tell them is not right now, not yet. We'll okay, work with you to do it. but what if I'm the mother that needs the diapers? If you're the mother that needs the diapers and we cannot help you, what we're asking is that they can go to one of these lenders that are here today, but please cap it at a certain limit. For context, that question about the diapers is based on something an industry speaker said a few minutes before this exchange that short-term and small-dollar lenders are there for people in need of emergency cash who can't get money anywhere else. People like moms who need diapers right now and don't have the money to buy them. For Carrie Smith, this argument from the industry is a dangerous one. Built, she says, on the questionable idea that lending money, even in a desperate situation, is always inherently beneficial. Over 50% of the denials are denied because the individual could not afford the loan if it was 0% interest. And that is where we refer out to various agencies to meet the need without getting a loan. We've created three revolving loan funds specifically for individuals that do not fall within our guidelines. And they have more intensive financial coaches that can help these individuals identify how they can meet the need. And they're the ones that we refer out to for things like rental assistance or utility bill assistance. And in those revolving loan funds that we've been operating since 2019, 63% of those folks have been able to meet their financial need without getting a loan which is a much bigger win for the consumer than giving them a loan they can't afford. For credit union customers who do qualify for small dollar loans, there is an increasingly popular product called Payday Alternative Loans, or PALS. Self-help doesn't offer these loans, but Founders Federal Credit Union does. So we have a Payday Alternative Loan that we have labeled our Express Loan, and it is relationship-based. Joni Harrison is the Assistant Vice President of Consumer Loan Operations at Founders. The loan itself is truly based off of that relationship with us. It's based off that direct deposit, the fact that you've been a member for at least six months. We don't pull credit, um, and the loan is based truly on the relationship. They run anywhere from, we'll lend anywhere from $500 to $2,000, and we will allow a repayment of up to 12 months, depending on how much the loan was. And then ideally you set it up so that it just drafts from your account, drafts back out. Um, you may have one at a time and then you may have up to three in a six month period. Like I said, PALs are part of a larger movement in the U.S. As banks and credit unions try to offer products in that sweet spot range of five to $1,500 to their customers. Now, you do have to be a member of a credit union in order to get these loans. And there is a $20 application fee at Founders. But Joni says PALs are a means of leveraging credit unions' assets as a way to steer customers clear of storefront lenders. 
So our goal was truly to protect our members who were going there. We did an assessment of our accounts, saw that we had members who were taking advantage of payday lending. We know what those rates are. We know that that is a, a vicious cycle that once you get into, it's really hard to get out of. So we offered this product truly as an alternative to help them find quick and easy emergency funds. You can do this in our online banking in under five minutes. So great resource for emergency funds, but truly has a repayment period and an end date so that when it comes due, you're able to make those affordable monthly payments and truly pay the funds back and not be stuck in that cycle. Despite how much help a credit union or a CDFI could give borrowers, there is still the nagging reality of what a person is supposed to do if they absolutely need money for something right now and have no other means of getting it than from a short-term lender. Credit unions are aware that people in emergencies sometimes have no place to go that isn't a payday store. But they also like to point out that even if you do turn to a lender today, credit unions can often find ways to help you not have to rely on them tomorrow. The problem for credit unions, CDFIs, and small nonprofits built on financial education is they have three major disadvantages compared to storefront lenders who set up shop in and around distressed neighborhoods. One, credit unions are incredibly misunderstood, and so they often intimidate would-be customers in a way that friendly, colorful storefront lenders don't. Two, storefront lenders have word-of-mouth advantage. Family and friends have turned to them, sometimes for years, and it's just human nature to trust consensus from our family and friends. And third, there's this. Every county has a bank or a credit union that offers um, small dollar loans. Well, if, if every county has these, why is, there, why is there a proliferation of other entities that we're trying to regulate further? Why, why are people going to those folks instead of your folks? Because they don't know that they exist. Because they don't know they exist. That was how Latori Gear really answered State Senator Sean Bennett at that March 1st meeting that we've been dropping in on. Credit unions, community-focused nonprofits, CDFIs, they're everywhere in this state. And yet most people don't know they exist, much less what they do or where they are. And isn't that just South Carolina as hell? Hundreds of places to go for help with everything from rental assistance to financial education to manageable loans run by nonprofit agencies on their own dime and propped up by volunteers because there is almost no systemic investment in these programs here an array of help for people who need it most, and people do not know about them. Well, you can actually help change that. If you go to the Indebted website, southcarolinapublicradio.org slash indebted, there will be links aplenty to organizations that you can give your time or money or resources to. There's almost certainly something in your own neighborhood that you can do, and almost certainly a place where you can go for help if you need it. And I promise you, after getting to know a lot of these folks over the past few years, No one is going to judge you for asking for help. So please, don't let your pride and your fear keep you miserable. And so we come to the end. And I know everything might have sounded very comprehensive to you, but not to me not as a reporter diving into this whole thing. There are a lot of things that we just didn't get the chance to talk about here. Things like military service, for example. All those free meals and clothes and residences that service members can take advantage of during their time, 
they're not necessarily the best training ground for making sound financial decisions in civilian life. I didn't get into auto loan debt either. Not really. I mean, we danced around the topic, but we didn't really get into it. And there's just so much about auto loan debt that we could talk about. But you know what? Let's not focus on what we didn't do. This is our last chance to talk, podcaster to podcastee. So I want to tell you really why I wanted to do this thing in the first place. It's because I give a damn about you, and I don't want you to feel alone, because debt carries a really terrible stigma. Way back in the first episode, if you remember, I said how we measure our worth in this country by our net worth. Well, that's true. But I didn't really dive into the shame or that sense of failure we feel about when we can't manage our money. So my biggest hope for where we go from here is to remove that stigma and get a conversation started. Now, fortunately, there's a lot of people to have a conversation with because there are scores of nonprofits and credit unions, CDFIs and volunteers, community level organizations all over South Carolina that can help you figure out how to borrow responsibly or recognize that you might not even need a loan. But you probably don't know that most, if any of these places, exist. Well, we'll have a lot of resources on the Indebted website and we're gonna keep adding to it because this might be the end of the podcast, but this is not the end of the conversation. And I'll leave us on that note with a little hope because as we like to say here in South Carolina, dum spiro spero, while I breathe, I hope. Thank you for listening to Indebted and for engaging with our extended content online. My deepest, and I mean, really, words can't do this justice. Thank you to every person I spoke to for this series, whether you made it on the air or not. Could not have done this without you, and your words help more than you know. I've been your host, Scott Morgan, and it has been my privilege to have your ear. So now it's up to you. Go and be good to the world. Indebted is a production of South Carolina Public Radio, made possible by donations to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. This series was reported, written, and hosted by Scott Morgan. Indebted's executive producer is Sean Birch. Producer and sound designer, A.T. Shire. Fact checker for this series is Keelan Bailey. All episodes of this series, as well as additional content, are available online at southcarolinapublicradio.org slash indebted. You can subscribe to Indebted wherever you get your podcasts.